Rock, good morning. How are you? I am very well. I feel rested. I had a, a decent night's sleep. Um, how are you? Um, that's that's interesting to me. I'm well, thanks. But considering what you were up to this this past week, moving house uh, and uh, getting yourself all set up, I'm surprised that you feel well rested. I, I was very selfish last night and the night beforehand. Um, Nothing about last night, but the night beforehand, there was a moment where I just said to my wife, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sleep. And I left it with our kids. I'm, I'm a terrible husband. Um, <laughs> but I knew that I just needed to go to sleep. Yeah. Because I think I've been running on four to five hours for a week or so per night. And it just caught up with me in the weekend. And it was a busy weekend. And I realized sometimes you've just got to cater for the central operating system. Absolutely. Sorry. Well, you're in the process of, well, you you have moved house, but you're also in the process of moving job, aren't you? So that is going to be taking its toll. There's a lot to be handed over. So the next two weeks are, I don't want to use the word manic. I've been trying to hand over a long period of time now because I knew that this move will happen since May, even though other people didn't necessarily believe it was going to happen. Hold on to your, your beliefs, people. Tell people what's going to happen. And when they don't believe it, remind them that you told them. So it's, it's going to be interesting, but it means that before Christmas, there'll be a lot of um, knots which need to be tied or untied, things which need to be sorted out. But it'll be good. It will mean that I'll need a Christmas break. Well, uh, have you got that booked already? Well, actually, you don't need to worry about that. See, this is the problem with me working in the private sector and you being uh, in, in education. I always forget that you guys have got, you've, you've, you've got your got holidays booked ready. Fantastic. Already booked ready for the next 30 years. Uh, downside, we're paying premium rates for flights. So my mother wanted to send us all to Dubai and her son and my wife were like, yes, yeah, an amazing idea. And me like the screw I'm like, like, no, that's a terrible idea. Why are we doing that? But how expensive that will be. But yes. Fantastic. Well, let's let's hope you can get some good rest regardless, whatever you end up doing. How about you? How's the week been? My week has been productive. The the best thing I can say about this week is that I've come to the end of my diet. So I'm very happy about that. Um, I, I I can have all sorts. It was fantastic. I broke my diet with um, a trip to burger and lobster. So that's why you, that's why you have a smile, see a smile on my face today. Um, but other than that, I've really got to grips with the house. So I've moved in about almost six months ago now, and it was a fixer upper. There was a point where we were working on the place and we didn't even have running water. Um, I didn't have a cooker. I, I was using a, um, an electric stove on my kitchen floor. Um, which didn't have towels on it because, yeah, the towels had been ripped up. Uh, and, yeah, I, I feel like there's still a lot of work to be done in this place, but it's definitely livable now. I feel a lot more comfortable in it. And all of the major difficult things have been done. Good. Uh, and what it's really encouraged me to think of now is what I'm willing to pay for rather than do myself. So a lot of the work I've done myself but now looking at the prospect of painting the living room just fills me with dread and anxiety. I just can't be bothered. So I'd rather just pay someone to do it. Um, and 
as entrepreneurs in general, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about how valuable our time is and how much our time is worth. And spending a day or a weekend painting a living room, I don't think is a valuable use of my time. No, and you're very good at this in terms of you're very frugal and you will do it yourself. You'll learn how to do it. I'm on the other spectrum where it's either laziness or a belief that if it's not part of my highest possible function, I'm not doing it, um, which is also laziness. I just refuse to do it. But then that means that you are paying considerably more. So uh, there's a medium that needs to be struck there. Well, it's a value judgment at the end of the day. Every decision we make around money that we spend is a value judgment. We are saying that the product or service that we are purchasing is worth more than what we're willing to change hands with. And uh, one thing I would encourage people to do is work out how much your hourly wage is. Everybody here is making an hourly wage effectively, whether you're on salary or not. How much does an hour of your time cost? And then compare that against the activity that you're doing and the ser or the service that you're purchasing. Um, there are certain things where if I could do it myself, I probably would. And it's probably a blessing that I can't do it myself, like a massage. Um, because if there was a YouTube channel that taught you how to self-massage, I'd probably fig try and figure that out too. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really worth understanding how much you are worth, but also how much you value some of the services you're requiring. So, so we're delving right in there with expensive lessons um, and... Uh, all I'd like to say is welcome. Welcome for another week of fascinating conversation around just the expensive lessons that we, we, we seem to accumulate along the way. Um, these are company directors sharing the fruit of their labor, sharing the lessons that they've learned during their journeys. And today we have a very special guest. We have somebody who, uh, like many of you, started out working uh, for a, a large corporation and then decided to take the leap and trust themselves and become a full-time entrepreneur um, and has involved themselves in various endeavors. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Stuart Munich, uh, a GoGay project, uh, Rogue Events. These are some of the um, companies that he's founded and also uh, somebody who I used to work with. Um, Stuart, how are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Great stuff. Well, I want to delve right into this because um, I think you've got a very interesting journey and one that many listeners would actually be quite envious of because many people want to be on your side of the fence. So my first question, my first question actually is how do we know each other? Yeah, so we met actually, um, I was on the graduate scheme a year or two years behind you um, on the same graduate scheme. Yeah. Um, and I remember you were seen as a, as a high flyer and somebody to, to get advice from, actually, um, on, on how we should go about our journey in, in the company we're, we're working for. So I remember seeking you out and trying to get some advice from you because that was always something that I wanted to do and um, just get advice from people who have gone a similar path, which I guess was what this, this podcast is helping out with. Um, so it goes full circle. Um, and that's um, how we met and we've been in contact since then, um, although it's good to catch up now. Yeah, definitely is. And well, absolutely one, you were a very notable member of the graduate scheme, mainly because you were always sharply dressed. I remember that much. Um, 
And uh, yes, you're, you're outspoken, very good communicator, and clearly had high ambitions. And it didn't take long until your, your ambitions took you in, in other directions. So you, we, as you, you mentioned, we were both working for the same company. What was your journey like then? Where, what did you move on to? Yeah, so I, my ambitions have changed a lot um, over the last two, three years, I'd say, which has probably brought me to where I am today. When I first joined that corporate world, I had that same idea that most people have, I believe, when they join the corporate world um, who are quite ambitious. They look at the career path. They, they seek out and see what the path is that you need to do to, to get to the top. And I must admit, you know, if somebody asked me, where do you want to go in this company? My answer was, well, I want to be the CEO. Um, and that wasn't always a popular answer. And it's not the answer everybody gives. But for me, it was kind of, well, where do I want to get to? I want to get to that that top job. And I was always looking, what would that path look like? And how can I, where do I need to go to get down that path? Um, and since then, things change a lot. And, and I've got different ambitions. But when I was at the company, I was just doing everything. I taking all the advice I could get speaking to anybody that I could. So, you know, I sought you out, I was speaking to you. Um, I had other mentors I was talking to and I was getting involved in as much as possible to, to make the best of that corporate life and to understand it and learn as well. Uh, go for it, Afalabi, you have a question? I, I do, Stuart, welcome. Um, whilst listening to guests, I often try to just enjoy the process and be a listener and try to almost synthesize some of the lessons. And from what you said, I've noted two things down, which is the continual pursuit of knowledge. There, there are many people who wanna be entrepreneurs who wanna work for themselves, but unfortunately they're not doing certain things which are inherent to great entrepreneurship. And you explained how you sought out those who were doing it well. And then secondly, you had phenomenally high aspirations in terms of where you wanted to go to. And you saw that those people could help you get there. And it's maybe a message to me, but possibly to some people who are listening also, learn to learn and learn to serve because you can't be a boss, you can't be a CEO without knowing all the, the nooks and crannies, the bolts of how things work out. So it's just refreshing to actually hear that again from someone else who has gone through that journey. And hopefully it's a reminder to everyone else that you have to acquire knowledge. Absolutely, it's the, the most powerful tool that you can, can bring to the table really, what's in your head. Sorry, Stuart, please continue. Yeah, I was going to, I printed out, there's this story and I can't remember the details of it, but I can send it to you afterwards. But it was a story that I printed out on my desk and it kind of was explaining exactly that, what you were saying, um, always be learning and also never be entitled to anything. It, it used to say, as a CEO, it, you have to do what gets done. So even if that means that you have to pick up a mop and go mop your own office because everybody else in the company is working really hard towards your goal, and you've got a minute's time to mock because whatever reason the giant is not there, then no job is below you ever in life. Um, so that was one thing I always took on. So if somebody asked me to do something, I would, you know, I started at the bottom anyway, but I'd never ever think, oh, that's a bit below where I want to be. So you just do whatever job um, has to be done. And um, in the learning thing, a good thing I always read and something that I take on when I'm um, teaching other people is the best mentors to seek out are actually not the people at the very, very top, because they're too far distance from what you are. So you always want to find somebody that's about two steps ahead of you. So who's done the journey, who's on the same journey you're on, and they've very recently gone through the same journey that you, part of your journey, 
because they're much more able to help you. If you go and seek out the CEO of the company and ask them for mentorship, that's great. But it's much more effective if you find somebody that's just um, that's on that same journey, but only a, a step ahead of you because the CEO, it's been 20 years since he was in your, in your shoes. He can give you some great advice, uh, but it's much more valuable actually to get it from, from the person just in front of you. And that's really valuable insight for so many reasons. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about your, um, your, your, your project. So I, I want to start off with Rogue Events. So tell me a little bit about Rogue Events. What, what, is, what is the business and what do you do? Yeah, Rogue Events, um, I started it with uh, a fellow friend and, and colleague who is at the same company that, that we're all at. At the time, we both had the same kind of ideas. Um, and I must say, it's, it wasn't super original. We saw somebody doing a great event out in Poland. So Rogue Events started from an idea where we saw, um, I'm a Harry Potter fan, and um, I saw that they, in Poland, they were doing this, this wizard school, immersive experience, four days. Um, for adults, uh, and I said to to my colleague and, and my friend, I said, "This looks really interesting. It looks like they're doing really well. It looks fun. Um, but why is the only place in the world you can do it in Poland? Why don't we bring this to the UK?" Um, and it really just went from there um, and and grew. And we got more and more serious about it. Um, we partnered with the company running it in Poland because um, again we wanted to rather than try and fully figure out how to do it ourselves, get some mentorship from them. Um, and, and just built it in the UK. And what we did was we um, funded it via a Kickstarter. We didn't have any money. So we, we set up a Kickstarter um, and, and we guerrilla marketed it as much as we could. Um, and it was, there were, you know, we went from zero followers, nothing, and daily we're doing all this work and we get like one extra follower, another extra follower. But then we, we kind of got lucky um, and got picked up by the media. I say got lucky, we're putting in a lot of work to get that done, but it just one day happened and I woke up and a, a small media outlet had picked us up and then it grew and then it hits um, on Facebook videos and suddenly uh, we, we fired up and we went to about 20,000 likes in within a week uh, on our Facebook page and that really made sure that our Kickstarter was successful and then we've been running that business ever since. Um, and yes, as I said, it's... Um, a four-day immersive um, wizard school. Um, go ahead. So sorry, um, I d you didn't get lucky. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. <laughs> you did not get lucky. Um, anyone listening to this should really know that you did not get lucky. I think when you do what you have done, which is to ask the right questions, um, why couldn't this happen here? And to truly meditate on those questions and to interrogate them further, and then to be assertive enough to actually reach out to the individual who's doing it and find a win-win situation where they can benefit from it being done somewhere else where they don't necessarily have a, the geographical footprint and then continue to feed it when it doesn't seem to be moving. Eventually it will grow and it will seem like on the outside, like it was luck, but no, well-deserved. Um, there are so many lessons in that very short description that you provided that it makes my head spin. Honestly, I was looking at that going, okay, that's a lesson, that's a lesson, that's a lesson. So I'm going to start from the top. So the first thing is you found an innovative value prop based on your own customer need. So you said that you were a big Harry Potter fan and you found yourself in Poland saying, this is an incredible experience. It's an incredible value proposition. 
I love it. How can I monetize it? Um, and then you said that there's a problem statement here, which is there is a huge customer base that doesn't have access to this service. How do I address or solve that problem statement? And as you said, Afalavi, this is all about asking the right questions. So there is a, a customer need, but there is also a customer challenge. How do I bridge this gap? The next lesson, which is fascinating and one that a lot of people don't do, this is a step that people skip, which can find themselves in a very difficult place. And it's that you decided to partner with the um, existing company. Rather than setting out on yourself and believing that you've got all of the tools to make this a success, you already decided that, okay, well, wisdom comes from learning from the mistakes of others. So let's collaborate with the people who have done it right. Um, there's no animosity there, let's build it. There's nothing that they lose um, from providing me with the support I need because they're in a different country. And ultimately we can actually cross pollinate because you know, we're a tourist destination um, for, for customers going in either direction. Um, and then the next one is that you decided that you were going to raise funds for this through a Kickstarter. So once again, a lot of people ask us the question, how do I raise funds in this modern day for an idea that I have? And a lot of people try to go down the traditional investor route, but we have access to um, sort resources like crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, and we've got somebody who has been successful in that in that space. And um, the, the the last point is just diligence. So you mentioned luck um, at you know being picked up by a uh, local uh, media outlet. It's definitely not luck because the hard work that you put out in constantly. Uh, marketing, even when it wasn't getting the response that you, you you wanted, meant that one of those random posts with maybe five likes or whatever it was, got caught the eye of a media company, or the word of mouth spread by maybe people who'd already attended caught the ear of a media company. And that's what led you to, to grow. And it is that old adage, which is a little bit hackneyed at this stage, but still very true, which is luck is equal to opportunity plus preparation and that's what you had you had well-prepared insight well-prepared strategy plus the opportunity and you were able to capitalize on that so I think there are so many valuable lessons in that experience alone yeah I think as you're saying with luck often people say like kind of luck is a habit you can create your own luck um so what was lucky was that it was the, the right timing because we we knew it was going to get picked up because it was um, a good idea, you know, come and come and be a wizard if you love Harry Potter. We just didn't know when. And the luck piece is that it happened like an exact point in our Kickstarter kind of marketing campaign, because if we'd been picked up after our launch date for the Kickstarter, then the Kickstarter wouldn't have been successful and the whole thing would have looked very differently. So yeah, I agree with you. The luck, we created the luck, but the timing, um, um, was lucky <laughs> well uh, but but you say the timing was lucky it was in that instance but it's not right now <laughs> so the reason I say that is because yeah it's a fantastic value proposition but we're also currently in the midst of a global pandemic so tell us a little bit about that <laughs> how has that yeah. affected your business yeah in um in terms of the, the events business um definitely um no events this year so we had to to cancel all of those um, and we're, we're hoping to be able to launch and, and run an event next year for that. 
um, and we had to kind of innovate for that. What meant with the pandemic is that we both had to kind of figure out what else to do. So we both went off and, and started um, second businesses <laughs> from that um, to, to, to push us through. Um, but we also understood that you have to innovate. So we started looking at how to bring these kind of things online as well. We haven't launched anything in that sphere yet, but um, in the pandemic to do well, and we can see the companies that have done really well as companies that have an online first um, methodology or online first belief almost. Well, yeah, I look, look forward to seeing how, how that evolves over time, really. It'd be interesting to see what that looks like. In terms of events, I think there is a interesting question around what, what do the future of events or social gatherings look like in a, a, a time when people may be less likely to, to step outside of their homes? I think there's definitely a, a disruptive idea somewhere in there. Afalabi? It, it leads me to the question, Stuart, um, a genuine question of the, the balance between entrepreneurship and necessity. So you explained how well, you became an entrepreneur. Unfortunately, you had no control over a worldwide pandemic. And that meant that you and your business partner had to, through necessity, seek other streams of income. And you chose entrepreneurship again. And I just see like the, the balance between, well, great entrepreneurs see needs and they remedy them. At the same time, entrepreneurs have needs, which kind of leads them to become entrepreneurs. So what's your take on entrepreneurship and necessity? Because I'm, I'm wondering whether some people who are listening aren't making it as well as they want to because necessity is just not there, whether that's in the customer offering and what they're just producing or in their own lifestyle. They don't need this. Yeah, it's all about having, trying to fill a gap. And most of the best entrepreneurial stories are always coming from places where I wanted this and then I tried to find it and I, and I couldn't. And then I went further and further down that rabbit hole and thought, what, well, I have to now fill this gap. Um, and that's the exact way we started that. The first company, Rogue Events, was like, oh, we, the only place we can do this in the world is Poland, but why can't we do that in the UK? Um, and it, actually, I didn't think my second business I'm running now is fully closing a gap I, I think the service is definitely a necessity but I don't think there was actually no there was a need come to think about it um scrap that um <laughs> it, I was solving a problem that I that I had I just only realized it today so, <laughs> so thank you for that we aim um, to please our expensive lessons yeah very interesting can you speak more about your need because yes, with Rogue Events, you solved a need for other people, which was also potentially your need in terms of just recreation, enjoyment. But then once the global pandemic happened, there was the need of actually replacing that stream of income, which forced you into entrepreneurship again. Um, what was that like? How did that actually feel like? And how did you um, successfully pivot? At some point you would have known that you needed to pivot, but how did you go from, oh my goodness, the world is crumbling around me, to, oh, oh my goodness, I need to start building something again. Yeah, so, and that comes back to the, the need that I had to always seek out to learn, to seek out mentors and to um, have some guidance along this entrepreneurial journey um, that I'm on. And that's, and I'd always actually been trying to find um, a good mentor or coach who 
because they always say, oh, you have to have a coach and mentor when you're on this journey. And I find one of the hardest things to do is to find that coach or mentor. Um, and you always hear the story like where somebody sent an email to some famous CEO and by some chance he replied and they started getting advice from him via email. But I found that that does happen definitely, but that that CEO must get thousands of those emails a day. And I'm sure there, there are a few lucky people that they replied to, but all the other people um, don't don't get that reply. Um, so that's what 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 led me to to pivoting to into second business because I was looking for um, the help that I wanted, and I also realised with the pandemic happening and and people's mindsets were were really going. It was really affecting people the way people thought about it, and and people were losing hope um, in in that they had any um, any control over of how how this can affect them, and that's where I then discovered that there was a need to actually. Um, show people that there is there is something that you can do um, and there is you, if you you change your perspective and change the way you look at this problem then you can you can make it a bit better um, and I, and that's where why I really started the second business was because I, I saw amongst my peers and my friends that they they were struggling with that that kind of direction and mentorship and and coaching to to look at different perspectives and um, and also struggling with the time to um, I think all of us, we're, we're lifetime learners and we love seeking out um, that education and seeking out that knowledge. And not everybody always has the time to do that. Not everybody knows where to look for that. So it was all, almost about collating all that information that I've gained um, and the lessons I've learned from it and pushing it out there. And that initially didn't start as um, a full-on replacement in terms of um, this one business isn't isn't making any money now the second business will do that it was it was um, also the second business is is needed and it, it did take a good six months to to figure out um, from that one and actually make it a viable kind of pro, pro, uh, position that brings in um, some income for me as well but it really just started as a project on the side um, of starting a new business in order to plug the hole from another business um, and it's it's always something I do. I really enjoy um, the starting phase of a business. That seems to be what I'm good at and what I enjoy and what I get excited about. Um, I remember doing one of those personality type tests that you do at work. It tells you what kind of um, traits you have in terms of your work ethic. And I remember that I definitely wasn't a completer finisher, which is somebody that actually follows through and, and ties up all the loose ends at the end and finishes it but I was really good at coming up with all the ideas and getting really excited at the start and building momentum um, and then to balance myself out I need somebody who's actually good at um, um, putting all those those details on and and getting it actually completed and over the line I think I went on a tangent there I'm really sorry about no that. no not at all that was really really valuable and I'm, I'm just yeah following the journey of somebody who was very comfortable in a corporate environment, but constantly trying to learn and then saw an opportunity to just expand their footprint and, and do something completely unique and, and took it. And that really kick-started kick your um, entrepreneurial journey. And when you were faced with a significant challenge, you, you took you know, the ball by the horns and decided to pivot. Now, what you're describing very modestly 
um, is something which many people have aspirations for, but really struggle with. And it's interesting that your second business is all about um, helping people take that leap, helping people develop themselves into a space potentially of entrepreneurship or just being the best um, version of themselves. So, so with that, can I ask the question, in terms of your opinion, what stops people from making that jump? What stops people from leaping into maybe a space which is a bit more risky, but has you know, a, a larger upside potentially? People are always waiting to get their ducks in a row. They're always waiting for that perfect moment to show up when everything lines up and there's a clear sign saying, now's the time to do this. And um, what, what you'll hear repeatedly from everybody is that your ducks never line up and the, the moment never shows up. And that's not just for jumping to entrepreneurship, but that's in everything in life. Uh, being married recently, I always I always say, oh, I, I don't know. I don't can't imagine having children right now. I'm not ready. And people always say, you'll never be ready, <laughs> but it's just going to happen. And it's the same with um, taking that jump and taking those risks. And if anything, the advice I give is, you know, take them now and early because um, on, a, on a timeline, actually, the, the the longer you wait, the the more the risk actually increases. I don't know what other people's personal circumstances are, but in order to take risks, you're better to to do them when you're when you're younger, um, when you maybe got um, you're in a position to take more risks, especially when you if people wait until they have to go into entrepreneurship through circumstance, um, that's it's no longer a risk; it's a necessity. So if you've actually got a, a job and you're in a secure place um, and you're fine, that's where you can take those risks because you still, um, it's not that much of a risk really once you think about it. So if you want to make a jump into full-time entrepreneurship, there are some some things you can do to to make it um, a, good, a good jump rather than a bad jump. Um, everybody always talks about that kind of having a, not a magic number, but a, a freedom number almost. So, you know, if you, want to if you, need, you have to figure out what's the minimum amount you need to live off and how long um, do you need to have that and what are your kind of out expenses and all that so having a number in mind is definitely something to think about um, for me the number I originally came up with was much higher than what I figured out later that I needed um, I think I just I was, I was just multiplying stuff very basically. I, I need to have at least three months full salary and then I'd like to multiply my take home by three. And oh, then I need to buy the equipment. So I'm going to have to buy a laptop. So I'm going to have to have that on top and all that. And what I realized is that it, that, that was just way too high. Um, and then it also becomes unachievable as well if you've, you've got that really high number. So you have to come up with a number, but realize that it's never as high as you think it is. And then you... Personal circumstance helps as well. Um, things things change, but I'd say just, you don't have to, there's no all or nothing. Uh, you don't have to just jump into entrepreneurship and and, that, and then become a full-time entrepreneur. Um, my journey definitely was, I was a part-time entrepreneur for quite a few years and a full-time corporate worker and uh, a part-time, loads of other things as well and a lifelong learner. So it's just about having to, juggle all those different hats um, and put them on at different times um, and that's a process I enjoy uh, mm. but it's one that you have to get comfortable with if that's the journey you want to go on and um, get comfortable with putting on different hats get comfortable with um, 
adapting and changing because being an entrepreneur is, is very different from being a really good employee um, and get comfortable that you're going to have to um, say no to a lot more things as well. Absolutely. But it's worth it. And do you remember the point at your journey where you had the confidence to say, I'm doing this full time now? Was there a moment where you, where you realized that this is, this is going to be my future? Yeah, it's when I started to see traction, when I started to see that when my ideas started to be proven that they were viable options, and I started to see that um, customers and clients were, were seeing value in what I was providing in, in my entrepreneurial businesses. And that it was, it's when I proved to myself basically that I could do it. Hmm. And when I knew, and um, and yeah, I did get some ducks in a row. I'm not going to lie; not all the ducks got into a row, but but some of them lined up. Um, so I'll be working towards that. I always had a goal and a date in mind as well. Um, I missed it, uh, but every every week I went past that original date I'd set for myself and that goal that I'd set myself. Um, I was in in overtime, so I knew that I'm going to. Captain is all or nothing now. I'm gonna to have to make this jump because I can't just reset this goal for another six months from now again, because we've all been on projects that are run over um, time-wise and money-wise, and and it's you have to at some point decide that this is going to be the moment. And, and um, yeah, it was great. And with that, so was there any sense of necessity that you you felt at all in in terms of in order for my business to grow I need to invest more time in this did that did that come up at all or was it a case of um this is the deadline that I've set myself I'm gonna leave or did you really feel like you weren't you were robbing your your own business of of your time and effort by focusing your energy elsewhere yes that, that actually definitely happened um I knew that I was getting a lot of traction by post by some stuff I was doing, but I knew also that I couldn't fully commit myself to it because of, of my normal job. Um, and that once I, I knew that I would start to take off as soon as I can commit the full eight hours a day to fully um, living that life and immersing myself in that life, that that would then start to have that snowball effect and grow. And then the more I started living the life as an entrepreneur, the more, um, opportunities would come to me and the more that would grow as well so yeah uh, it became to that point where I knew that my job was holding me back from being an entrepreneur and that was again one of those weights that I could get off my shoulders and yeah for me job, doing thing, taking that jump was um, it was scary but it was just so freeing at the same time and um, I just felt different and, and amazing um, and it, it, everybody will come to that point um, you may miss the first two, but once you've seen a few signs, you start to pick them up and you'll get there. So w one, one thing that we like to interrogate on this podcast is um, the, the idea or the concept of whether entrepreneurs are born or whether they're made, whether there are elements of our environment which create us as entrepreneurs. So um, ap apologies for the, the pseudo um psychiatry session but I, i'm i'm interested to, to hear about your your childhood and, and growing up so 
do you feel like an entrepreneurial spirit has always been within you compared to your peers or you know was there a point as as you grew up where maybe you realized you were a bit different or had different ambitions from your colleagues yeah um i wasn't raised in an entrepreneurial household so i never had that sort of because you see those who have entrepreneurial parents so it's more natural but one thing i did have from a very early age is i was always an organizer i was always organizing things for myself and my friends um, I was always organizing little events um, and I was always thinking of ways to to do new things so that entrepreneurial spirit already started in that um, I only really started taking off on actual the business side quite late and one thing I that's why I was saying start early because I see all these great people nowadays are starting these businesses whilst they're at university or at school and it's it's absolutely really impressive um, so I never started the entrepreneurial thing until I was midway through in my in my corporate kind of career path so I don't think it was kind of ingraining me that way and to answer what you're saying is if you're born or you can learn I, I don't believe that you're born anyway you can definitely learn to be anything um, mm. it's all about we'll all have different our environment will have an effect of, on us and the skills we have will have an effect but that's just a starting point so some people might start a bit ahead but we definitely won't all finish at the same spot. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, there's no, there's no, nothing stopping you except for you and just taking on that education. Um, you may have a different environment that suits you a bit more to it than to start. But if you, um, if you open, if you have that growth mindset and that you can learn new skills and you're willing to fail and, and to learn from those failures, then anybody can do it. No, and yes, uh, a humble response, a very modest response. I wouldn't expect uh, any, any, anything less, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to be pushing you here. So apologies. But one thing I can say is um, when, when you joined the company that we used to work for as a graduate, you joined alongside probably a hundred odd other individuals, roughly. And with all due respect to, to all other people on that intake, you are one of very few people who I can remember. So why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that you stood out to people like me, who, as you mentioned, was somebody who you maybe looked, you looked to to gather some, some insight and some mentoring? Why do you think you stood out? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. I think it's because I was... Um, prolific in in trying to get my foot into as many different pies as possible and uh, which was one of the the methods I was using to try and further my career was to um, be seen um, doing do good things and always be seen doing good things so get involved um, with as many extracurricular pieces as you can to get a visibility around the company um, you'll also learn from those experiences so the time will never be wasted um, so I was prolific in uh, seeking out mentors. So I, I sought out you, I sought out uh, many other people. I was prolific in, in asking um, for help. Um, I was prolific in getting involved as many little projects as I could. Um, anytime they, they had a little, little competition or a, or a project or something where they're looking for volunteers, um, a committee, anything like that, I always put my hand up and, and was saying, yes, yes, yes. I know there's a lot of advice which I gave just earlier saying you need to learn to say no to things but at that stage of my career um, it was about being open to saying yes and I think 
that really, really helped because I was involved in so many different projects at the time uh, and running around and offering out my help and saying, you know, how can I help you? How can I support you? I just want to learn and I want to learn what you do. And if there's anything I can do to help you in, in that process, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And that really lands well with people because it's all about giving rather than taking because yeah I'm, I'm getting that advice from you and, and I'm taking your time which is very very valuable but I'm, I'm willing to give as much as I can and, and doing that in all different places um, is, is really that valuable. A quick question um, what you just said reminded me of a conversation I was having with a young lady recently who I used the analogy of she wanted to be Batman but wasn't willing to be a good Robin to what extent do you believe that many people need to learn how to work effectively in an organization before they pivot to being an entrepreneur? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's that concept of um, you need to become a good follower before you can become a good leader. You need to learn how to, um, how to, to, how to work, how to put in the hard hours and how to um, learn from other people and how to take advice and how to get on with the grind and especially in a corporation um, the lessons I learned there were priceless just how systems work how companies work how the whole model works and um, how teams work all those things are invaluable you you can't really just come straight in at the top and and start to to run I mean you could but start to run a business um, without having that understanding about how every person um, who's working with you their role is integral to the running of that business it's a well-oiled machine and and the founder or the, the entrepreneur who starts it there's only there's only one part of that machine but in order for all the other bits to work in unison um, it's best that you have a at least a bit of an understanding of what's needed because also as a as an entrepreneur and as a leader you need to be giving the direction you need to be leading um and showing the vision of where you want to go. And um, you can't outsource that to, to anybody else. So if you've got somebody who you then bring in to help you with marketing, you can't just say to them, okay, market away and I want to see the results. You need to have that vision um, of what you believe the, the marketing needs to look like. And you need to let them do their job, definitely. But if you have to have that experience from seeing how, the, how, how you've done in the business, but also seeing how um, being able to just understand, I'm going on a tangent here. So yeah, you oh, definitely like have it. to be a really good follower to to first to then be a leader and be a good employee to be a good entrepreneur. It, it seems as if your your understanding of psychology is something that you're downplaying, because previously you mentioned almost the the analogy of the CEO who's mopping their own floor, which is their willingness to do what's necessary at any point for their business, but it's also they're understanding that they are constantly modeling. If people see them doing that, then they'll realize that if that person's willing to do it in their position, so should I. Which goes back to when you are willing to pick up any extracurricular opportunity, you understood that people have short-term memories and they will remember the last person they saw. <laughs> and if your face keeps on coming up, they're likely to think of you when an opportunity arrives. Um, so that opportunity, plus preparation, equaling luck. But then likewise with your marketing with your business, it's that persistent marketing every single day when you don't know what's necessarily coming back. Numerically, it's two to three likes. But eventually, 
people remember seeing you. And it's that long-term residual impact, which is crucial. Yeah, exactly. So when I think about entrepreneurship, one of the key words that comes to mind is sacrifice. Um, because the journey isn't a obvious pathway for top talent these days. You tend to be, if you're a top talent, um, you, you tend to want to find yourself in a safe environment, um, which is going to be paying you a high secured salary. So as an entrepreneur, who uh, entrepreneurs probably are, in terms of people who are, are top talent, make up a very small proportion. We, we often find ourselves going through a lot of pain uh, and without a lot of support. My, my question for, for you is quite an open-ended one, but what have been the low points on your journey? Um, you, you're definitely going to have them. They're unavoidable. They are ones where you can draw immense value in terms of lessons. What do those look like for you? What, what, what stands out? Yeah, um, especially lots of stuff focuses around the customer. Um, so high points are when you know you see customers doing well um, and a low point is definitely um, any time that the customer feels disappointed in the service that you're providing um, and it does happen and it, it is very you put in all that work and effort and if they've not necessarily seen all the work and effort they've really seen one part of of what you're creating um, and then are very vocal about um, that failure um, it is very disappointing and especially if that failure or that that comes in the form of a review um, that's very public, then, then it's even more crushing because everybody can see it. So that's definitely one low point. Um, I was thinking of another, just the, the time um, and effort sometimes. You, you have to say no to a lot of opportunities um, and you do have that, um, especially when you, you, let's say you land a customer and, and you're really happy. You're like, oh, this is great. I can do the same thing I did and land another customer. And then you do the same thing and nothing happens. <laughs> so yeah. you think you've worked it out. You think, ah, oh, I've got the process. And now I just need to repeat the process. And then you realize, nope, I do not have that process or that process is wrong. So that's another low point where you, you think you've solved it, but you actually, you solved one part, but <laughs> that just opened up another whole other questions that you need to ask yourself so those are probably the the main low points for me so I, I want to delve into some of those so in terms of customer reviews and feedback they can be the lifeblood of your business quality reviews can help excel accelerate your business to to completely different heights but they can also crush you um, and your business is a, a bit like a child of yours so when you have somebody saying that you've got an ugly baby uh, it can really hurt your feelings. Just tell me about your response to, to negative feedback. What does that look like, your, your general response to it, and how do you manage it? For me, I'd always say thank you. Um, your feedback's really, really valuable. Um, I'm going to endeavour to either, if it's direct feedback to me, I'm going to endeavour to work on that in myself, and I'm going to um, work on, on fixing that problem, and thank you for bringing it to the forefront. It's about... Um, failures in a company then you say I'm, I say I'm gonna you know I'm gonna look into where that failure happened and why it happened and and what process has led to this and I'm gonna gonna fix it if, it, if it's wrong um 
all all feedback is valuable we all need to have it um the very worst thing you can do is to get combative and and fight against it even if their their feedback or their review is completely wrong or based on on stuff that's just not true um you're not going to meet be making any friends by by going back combative so you always just have to be humble and say thank you and and it is, it can, even if it is completely wrong, there's still something there to learn. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of owning everything um, from your problems to everything in your life and taking ownership of everything. So if somebody gives you bad feedback, then you need to take ownership of that, no matter how true or false it is. Um, there's a reason why they've given you bad feedback. So you need to find out what that reason is um, mm. and fix it. No, absolutely. Um, and when I think about, customer feedback it is just another data point it's another data point for you to use analyze and then adjust based on it um, now if you have an anomaly so you have 99 percent positive reviews and then you've got one negative then it can help you put that that feedback in context but if you've got if you've got the majority of your customers all saying the same thing then there's probably some credibility there. So I absolutely agree that it's important to, to engage with the feedback you're receiving and, and, and put it in context. Um, the other question I, I wanted to, to ask about your lows um, is something which I, I could possibly relate to, as could Afalabi. We all have partners. We're all married. Um, how... How has the, the life of an entrepreneur impacted your personal life? Is it, how has it impacted your relationships where I'm assuming most of the people in your life aren't entrepreneurs? Yeah, um, actually it's had, um, funnily enough, because of the, my entrepreneurship endeavors and the learning and reading and, and talking about it, I've always done uh, with my wife. She actually took the leap um, a couple of years ago and, and became an entrepreneur as well. Um, and um, she credits that to, to just me be always talking about it. So we are now in a household of two entrepreneurs. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, it is definitely, definitely tough because um, if you work, I mean, I work from home, it's my office. So you're always at work, um, which I know a lot of people are experiencing now um, with the pandemic and working from home. And, and they'll all be able to relate that usually you leave work you come home and all your time at home is is your own and um, that's not always the case but it is mostly and you have a work phone and a, and a personal phone and a work laptop and a personal laptop and you can kind of put the work stuff away and switch off and when you're an entrepreneur that's just not the case um, I use my personal phone and my personal devices for my work so they're always intermixed um, and there's always more work to be done, done as well and it's your own business so it's always your choice to, to work on it or to not work on it. And you do have to make, um, it is very, very important that you're not always on and that you take time off. But um, there's times where we six, seven o'clock and I'll get a message like, oh, where are you coming down to, to hang out and just have some, some time together? And I'll be working. It's like, oh yeah, it's only another five minutes. I just need to finish this thing. And you finish, try to finish that thing. Then another thing pops up and five minutes turns into 10, turns into 20. So it does have an impact that way. And you have to get really, really good at prioritization and time management because entrepreneurship and business is all about allocating your limited resources to the place that makes the most 
value, most impact. And if you're, you know, an entrepreneur and, and a small business, then that resource is you. <laughs> yeah. So you absolutely. have to know where to, where to allocate it. Yeah, go ahead. No, thank you. Um, there's this belief that entrepreneurs are happier. And if you're an entrepreneur, you will just have a, a better quality of life, which I don't necessarily wholeheartedly believe. Um, have you found that that's the case with your your wife that she's actually happier now as an entrepreneur has that brought something out of her which may have been contained previously yeah i'd definitely say so um she was working in yeah sometimes it wasn't always the best work environment to working in so now working for herself and being in charge of her own time she's definitely much happier she doesn't have to deal with any office politics at all which is great um there's completely different stresses um from being an entrepreneur, there's yeah, there's no office politics. There's no how to deal with. Are you going to get promoted, or is this person doing that? But there's the whole other side of running your own business that you have to deal with. But it's a, it's a a different kind of stress. But I've definitely seen that she's a lot happier. Um, and for myself, I can also say that I'm a lot happier because I think it also goes down to your kind of purpose and the reason why a lot of people also go into entrepreneurship is because they lose the purpose in what they're doing in their day-to-day job. Um, and then that, without that purpose and that why, they, they tend to feel that they're not giving or contributing in a way that they should. Um, mm. And if that's a reason why you get into entrepreneurship, then I think the happiness will definitely come, even if um, on the surface you might be a bit more stressed and might have a bit less time and possibly less money um, at least you're following in, in a way that um, you feel like you're contributing in the best way possible. Um, and you've, you've just sparked what is definitely going to be a, a podcast episode. We've done an episode about purpose in the past and the general response that we receive from that is we want to hear more because I think we, I, I constantly come across people um, who are bundles of talent but they don't know their purpose, um, which is fine. But I think the scarier part is that they don't know how to find their purpose. Um, so kind of, yeah, a bookmark or a, a, a checkpoint in this episode for me to, to definitely look at us constructing uh, a, a session around finding your purpose. Um, Stuart, this has been a great conversation and really valuable for me because I'd say a lot of the points that you have articulated today are things that I've definitely been thinking about, especially during the pandemic. And it's lovely to have a little bit of camaraderie around some of the things that that you've discussed. Um, I wanna close out with a a few more questions. Um, One is is a question that uh, I'd I'd really liked to to hear your your analysis on, but you are um, currently a member of the RAF reserves. You've uh, been been doing that for about five years now. Um, I, I'd really like you to to to, to delve into that. Um, feel free to go off on a tangent. Not many guardrails here. Just may, maybe two sub questions here, which are: you know, what does that entail day to day, and what lessons have you taken from from being in the RAF reserves for your business or for your entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, um, I always kind of joined the military was a path I considered as a career choice um, when I was at school and at university. 
Um, I ultimately didn't go down it um, for reasons of kind of freedom and and being able to do your own thing. Um, but I decided that going down the reserves would be a good way to kind of get the best of both worlds and um, being getting that kind of military experience and also having a, a non-military life. And yeah, joining the reserves has definitely been a really positive impact, um, especially in terms of that discipline that you learn and the different skills that you learn and that way of thinking that you learn. Um, and we see it a lot in kind of people that were in the military and come into um, a non-military job, they bring with them a different set of skills, um, especially in terms of um, leadership um, and camaraderie and teamwork and also being really good at what you do and doing everything that you do with um, the right. You have to do everything to the best of your ability because if you're not, then you're letting down a team and in the in an environment that the military operates in, that can actually be a really, really costly mistake. So you learn how to trust working with people that are skilled um, and you learn how to have put a lot of effort into working uh, that you, every action that you do um, can have real significant outcomes, which is a really good thing to learn. And in terms of leadership as well, my leadership skills really, the job, that the role that I work in the RAF is I have to give a lot of briefs to a lot of people that um, actually always people that are more senior than me. Um, so I always have to stand up there and do basically public speaking and then be asked a lot of questions about a topic, which again is um, by people that are a lot higher rank than me and that are, have again, real, real world impact. Um, and these are real questions that, that can affect their role and their job as well. So not only did I have to get better at public speaking and delivering briefs, but I also had to um, get really good at building, doing the research, um, trusting it and then time bound. We, you never have enough time to put together this information to do all the research and then to actually build it into a PowerPoint, which is actually very painful as well. Mm. Um, even just checking for small things like margins and spelling and all that. And um, that on top of, you could always do more research, but you have to get to that point where you have to stop. Um, so those are skills that I've really taken from that, that piece of responsibility, that piece of ownership I spoke about if you're giving a brief, um, even if other people contribute to it, which happens a lot, it's all a team environment. You're the person up there delivering it, so you need to take ownership of that. And if you get to a slide that maybe you didn't create, but you're the person who's narrating what's happening on it, and it's not the kind of slide that um, maybe doesn't go down well, again, you have to own that rather than placing the blame on, on somebody else. So it teaches you that ownership piece, that responsibility piece, and that leadership piece. I think are really three pieces I've gotten out of being the RAF Reserves um, and that I would Own recommend to anybody else. Ownership, leadership and responsibility that those are yeah a, a, a really uh, key set of, of characteristics that any leader or en, en, any high performing person will need but as well as that from what, what you've mentioned I, I'd also take away a few other characteristics which I think are really valuable I think the notion that every action has a consequence although very simple is incredibly valuable it's incredibly insightful because one issue I would say that we do face in this day and age is people not truly understanding the impact of their actions Afalabi you've referred to it in the past as sleepwalking where we sleep, we walk through life, we're not particularly present. And we don't actually understand how our 
our steps in the environment actually have a knock-on effect on the the world around us um and that links into time so i mean a, a good example especially in a military concept is how regimented your time is from the time that you wake up to the time that you you go to sleep when you're on exercise for instance that has already been agreed you know you're waking up at six you know you're doing physical training at 6 30 you know you're getting uh, breakfast at 7 30 all of those things are regimented and the reason why that's valuable is because once again, actions have consequences. If you're late for any of those regimented periods, that has a knock-on effect on the rest of your day. It's like a domino. Um, so, so, so those skills, that level of understanding, I see is really valuable. And um, if, if anything, I'd say from listening to you, one of the most important things that listeners can take away from, from what you said is structuring your time and structuring your day as well as being a leader, being uh, an accountable individual within your team. Um, speaking of which, I'd like to ask very briefly about your co-founder. So we've, you've spoken about Rogue Events being a the brainchild of, of you and your co-founder. Tell me what it's been like going on this journey with somebody else and having to bounce your ideas off uh, another person before it actually being implemented yeah definitely um shout out to my co-founder his name is Cameron um it's been invaluable really um especially when we co-founded that company we were we were living together at the time as well so we really spent um, hours and hours bouncing ideas off each other um, in some night and we both bring different skills to the table and what we learned um through some arguments and discussions sometimes when you have a co-founder, it's like being married. Um, you, you learn over time to um, really appreciate the skills that the other person brings to the table and really understand the deficiencies that they also bring to that table. And you learn how you, how you work with each other um, and how to, how to get the best out of each other. Um, it's trial and error. Um, yeah, having a, having a co-founder and having that person that you start a company with is, is, is tough um, and there's definitely some really really tough times they're another um, full-on person who's just as bought into it as you are but they've got their own ideas and directions that they want to take it in sometimes and it really is like a marriage I'd say never ever go into entrepreneurship or business um, with somebody um, without thinking about it first for a while because it, it, it's actually more than a marriage um, legally in, in terms of how, what you have to do with the company these are things that you that you don't want to think about early on um, but you should think about and I'll definitely say you know take think twice if you're going to go into business with maybe somebody that's like a good friend um, as well because again it can it can have a big strain in your friendship I've been I'm going to use the word lucky again but been fortunate that um, my co-founder is a great person and we've gotten stronger and stronger our friendship's better than it was um, before. And uh, we really understand how to work each other with, but it's a learning process, um, that, that partnership, but you really have to learn um, how, to, how to live with each other. Uh, similar to how you have to learn um, how to be a good husband um, or wife or partner. It's the same kind of concept. So I, yeah, it, I've learned so much from him. He's great. Um, and I think he feels the same. Um, it's been great having that, um, support as well I don't I wouldn't be where I am today if I had gone it just as myself um so yeah 
Well, shout out to Cameron. Um, last, last question for you. Um, and this is a question that we, we ask all of our guests on, on the podcast. Um, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. It's full of twists and turns and full of lessons, full of things that we um, wish that we had known before we started the journey, full of things that we can't wait to share with other people uh, as well. Uh, we, we, we talk about the things that we didn't know that we didn't know all of the unknown unknowns uh, within the journey of, of entrepreneurship. So for you, what stands out as your most expensive lesson to date? Um, what is my most expensive lesson to date? Um, I've got two expensive lessons. Um, so one that is the true most expensive lesson is I always got this advice and I read this advice is that two things that you need to have when you start a business is you need to hire a really good accountant and you need to hire a really good lawyer. Um, and I ignored both those pieces of advice and went for the cheapest accountant and didn't even get a lawyer. And um, that really came back to bite me later on. Um, and in terms that the accountants that I did hire didn't, perform the job as, as they should have done uh, and that led to um, a very very expensive lesson and also the need to hire a, um, a lawyer um, so that's one lesson definitely um, get a good accountant oh, wow. and uh, at least talk to a lawyer <laughs> um, so that's the, that's the most expensive lesson um, but in terms of lesson for me personally is um, I think it's never it's never too too late uh, sorry it's never too early to start and and um, the later you leave it the, the more expensive it gets in terms of that experience and in terms of that um lost lost sales lost time so so that's although not a real monetary value lesson is to me um don't don't wait because um that lesson will cost you a lot in terms of time in terms of stress in terms of your mind um so just go out there and put yourself out there and take that jump and 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 have the courage um it's it's all about having courage um and taking it. a lot of people have work what the reason why people aren't entrepreneurs all the time is because they're scared and it's very scary and definitely that's okay you you should be scared and and you are scared and that's perfectly normal um but what you find is that when you take that step and you, you put yourself out there and you get vulnerable and you take that courage is that the support in most cases is overwhelming. So the lesson would be um, lean into that fear, um, be vulnerable, um, be be a person, and and you'll get some lessons out of that. Thank you so much, Stuart. Um, it's fortunate that people can't see us in this podcast because while you were sharing your first expensive lesson, um, both Afalabi and I were having facial expressions which could definitely have been turned into memes um we can definitely relate with that first expensive lesson i won't say any more than that maybe one for another day but valuable valuable advice there and just valuable ad advice all around i've taken a bunch of notes um which i'm going to try and synthesize into um uh, a, a set of actions for myself and I really hope that the listeners have done so too this has been really fantastic and we, we value your time um 
before we go, and Afalabi, I'll leave the last word over to you. Where can people find you, Stuart? What 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 are you up to and how can people get in touch? Yeah, so um, people can find me on social media, just Stuart Munich. Um, people can find Rogue Events um, at rogueeventslimited.com and then my latest business, which is called Agoge Project. So people can find that at agogeproject.com. Um, okay, one last question. Why Agoge? Why Agoge? Yeah, so I am a big fan of ancient Greeks. Um, of, I'm a big fan of Stoicism and I'm a big fan of the Spartans. And um, the Spartans went through a schooling system, uh, which was called the Agoge, which is where they learned to be great warriors, but they also learned stuff like rhetoric. They learned the laws, they learned um, teamwork, they learned sport and singing. And they learned that all round kind of education system. And um, since the business is all about helping and coaching um, mindsets, sports and fitness, um, I thought it would be fitting. Um, to take all the good out of the Agoge and, and nicely leaves away all the, all the things that we know were, weren't so great about what they did in ancient Greece. So as well as uh, leading with a, a really innovative events company, he's also training Spartans, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Afalabi, last word. It's, it's funny that you say that, Stuart, because I was going to end by saying I really enjoy just listening because you are a great orator without being convoluted with big words. You speak very well, succinctly. And to now know that you studied rhetoric and you're interested in um, the, the, the soft skills which the ancient Greeks explicitly taught, it makes sense now. And often, we, we've heard Steve Jobs say that, well, oftentimes it only makes sense looking back. Looking back through this episode, I can now see how everything was in line from your organizational skills as a child to your proactive intentions to be seen and just to do and to be partake within your earlier career, to you solving problems, to you thinking about how you can communicate that effectively. It reminds our listeners that yes, acquire knowledge, but explicitly try to develop your soft skills because it's those soft skills which will put you in front of people. People don't care how knowledgeable you are if you can't connect with them. So Stuart, from me, thank you. Um, I've really, really enjoyed just listening. If you haven't heard a great deal from me, it's because selfishly, I've just been enjoying it. <laughs> um, but for everyone listening, I hope that was valuable. Once again, listen to it again, because there are quite a few gems there which could easily go over someone's head. But thank you, Abby. This has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors share the lessons that they've learned on their interesting journeys and we really hope that you enjoyed it and we'll look forward to having you here next week. Take care. Take care all. Cheers. Bye.